0: Welcome to JourneyWithJesus.net, a weekly webzine for the Global Church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled Choose This Day. It's based upon the lectionary readings for August 26, 2018. What does it mean to choose God? When I was a little girl, it meant walking down the aisle at the end of Sunday morning worship services, kneeling at the altar in tears, and asking Jesus to forgive my sins and come live in my heart as Lord and Savior. Growing up, this was a choice I made compulsively. The front page of my old NIV Children's Bible, in fact, documents the many times I decided to get saved June 1st, 1981, January 5th, 1983, Easter Sunday, 1988. Some of the dates are crossed out, signifying salvations it apparently didn't take, who knows why, and required do overs. As the years went by, I got tired of this relentless choosing. Tired of stumbling down the aisle Sunday after Sunday, consumed by guilt. Tired of wondering if my confessions were earnest enough to earn God's favor. Tired of not knowing for sure if I was saved, once and for all. Tired, most of all, of feeling like so much depended on me. In recent years, I've moved away from that cathartic but anxiety-ridden version of choosing. When I walk into a worship service these days, I imagine myself entering into a story much bigger, older, and wiser than the fickle ups and downs of my emotional life. I sink into the richness of tradition, sacrament, and liturgy, confident that the ancient rhythms of the church will feed me. I lean away from the personal and into the communal, trusting that I'm just one small part of a vast and interconnected body. For the most part, these are good things. These changes in perspective have deepened my faith. I'm no longer worn out and worried all the time. I feel rooted. I feel held. And yet, and yet, as both the Old Testament and New Testament lectionary readings this week make clear, choice still matters. Choose this day whom you will serve, Joshua tells the Israelites as they present themselves before God at Shechem. Choose this day, here, now. Do you also want to go away? Jesus asks his disciples as people take offense at his teachings and abandon him. Now the stakes have gone up. Jesus has said the shocking thing, the seemingly impossible thing. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the fork in the road. It's time to choose. In other words, these are passages about real choices. Real choices with real consequences. Interestingly, what's at stake in these decisions is not the identity or eternal security of the choosers. In the reading from Joshua, the Israelites are already chosen and beloved of God. They have a long history with Yahweh, a history of deliverance from slavery, manna in the desert, and steady direction in the wilderness. Likewise, the people who have abandoned Jesus are not starry-eyed newbies. John's Gospel makes clear that they are already Christ's disciples. He has fed them, taught them, healed them, and loved them. No, what's at stake in both stories is whether or not God's already beloved and rescued children will choose daily, hourly moment by moment, to live fully into who they already are. The daily altar call is a call to hold attention to amazing and paradoxical truths, one, that God has already chosen us, and two, that we are therefore invited to choose or not choose God in return, not once or twice, but over and over and over again. To trade one version of choice for the other is to diminish and distort the gospel. So I'm back to my original question. What does it mean to choose God? Not as a one-time walk down the aisle, not as a communal catharsis in an an ornate sanctuary, but as an intimate gift meant for both our individual and our collective lives. A costly practice, a daily, hard-won discipline. It's worth noting that neither Joshua nor Jesus take pains in these lectionary readings to make choosing God easy. If anything, they make it harder. Joshua explains in no uncertain terms the fidelity, obedience, and tenacity a covenant relationship with God requires. If you'd rather worship the idols of your ancestors, go for it, he tells his listeners, because the life Yahweh calls you to is no joke. He means business. <coughs> Likewise, Jesus doesn't argue back or make excuses when his followers take offense and deem his teachings too hard. He never offers them christ light or Jesus for dummies instead. No, <coughs> he lets them wander off with their questions unanswered and their doubts unresolved. Why? because he's not so much user-friendly as he is unflinchingly honest. Yes, this teaching is hard. It's also glorious, it's also life-giving, it's also blessed. But it's hard. What does it mean to choose God? According to Jesus, it means eating his very essence, taking the incarnation so deeply into our own bodies and souls that we exude the flavor of Christ to the world. It means doing what Jesus did and living as Jesus lived. It means turning the other cheek. It means loving our enemies. It means walking the extra mile. It means losing our lives in order to gain them. It means trusting that the first will be last and the last first. It means seeking God's kingdom and God's righteousness. It means denying ourselves. It means the cross. Honestly, it's stunning that Jesus had any followers left. Maybe the real miracle of the bread and fish story is not that Jesus fed 5,000 people with a tiny bagged lunch, but that even a handful of those people stuck around when he was finished teaching. Do you also want to go away? There's something so vulnerable and poignant in the question. I imagine Jesus asks it sadly, but with his characteristic compassion and understanding. He knows full well what he's asking of his followers, and he wants them to know that his love is a freeing love. They're free to walk away. The question makes me uncomfortable because the truth is yes. Yes, I do want to go away sometimes. I want to quit. I want to be comfortable. I want to pick an easier, less demanding, less costly version of the gospel. But here's the deal. That version doesn't exist it just plain doesn't. As Peter rightly responds to Jesus, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm comforted by the fact that even bold, brash Peter doesn't shout a spirit-filled yes to Jesus' question. He responds with a question of his own, not an enthusiastic, flattering question, a searching one. Lord, what are the alternatives? Your teachings are hard, but they have life in them. If you truly are who you say you are, why would we choose death when life is right here, in your words, in your body, in the strange food you're asking us to eat? You are life itself. To whom else would we go? What does it mean to choose God? What has it meant to you in the past and what does it mean now? It's a question we must keep asking ourselves because the choice never goes away. Choose this day and this day and the day after that. Keep choosing because God has chosen. He always and already chooses us. Now, it's our turn. For books this week, Dan reviews Our Father, Reflections on the Lord's Prayer by Pope Francis. On August 4th, 2017, the Catholic theologian and prison chaplain Marco Pozzo of Padua interviewed Pope Francis about the Lord's Prayer for a nine-part broadcast on the Italian bishop's television station. A few months later, those interviews were published as this little book. The book was published on March 13, 2018, to coincide with Francis' election to the papacy on that date in 2013. It takes courage to pray the Lord's Prayer, says Francis, to truly believe these familiar and yet radical words. You have to be bold to believe that God is the Father who accompanies me, forgives me, gives me bread, is attentive to everything I ask. Jesus never prays to an almighty God or a remote, cosmic God. He prays to a loving Father God and encourages us to do the same. In alternating chapters, Pope Francis and Poza discuss the nine phrases of the Lord's Prayer from the interviews, Our Father, Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc., followed by a chapter on the theme that is taken from various homilies and meditations by the Pope. We must remember we are never alone. Some of us may be far away from God, hostile, we may even claim to be godless. But the Gospel of Jesus Christ reveals to us a God cannot be without us. He will never be a manless God. It is he who cannot be without us, and this is a great mystery. God cannot be God without man, What a great mystery this is. And this certainty is the source of our hope, which we find enshrined in all the invocations of the Our Father. For Movies This Week, Dan reviews Dolores. This documentary film from the Independent Lens series of PBS tells the inspirational story of the Chicana activist and community organizer Dolores Huerta, Huerta grew up in the 1940s Central Valley of California and knew firsthand the experiences of racism, poverty, police brutality, child hunger, and worker exploitation. Although she's rarely mentioned in the history books, this film gives Huerta her due as the indefatigable workaholic for and co-founder of, with Cesar Chavez, what eventually became the United Farm Workers Union. She picketed, planned, Drafted legislation, negotiated, lobbied, and most famously organized a national grape boycott in 1965. In 1968, she stood on the podium beside Robert Kennedy as he gave his victory speech and was assassinated the next day. The film doesn't shy away from one aspect of Huerta that made her an easy target for some, her 11 children by two marriages and then a partner. Everyone agrees she was an absentee mother, but Huerta was unapologetic about the cause she served and the social justice values that she bequeathed to her children many of whom are interviewed in the film. The film also shows how similar leaders and other social justice movements connected the dots of feminism, the environment, LGBTQ issues, and various children's causes. I watch this film on the PBS website. And finally, for poetry this week, A Vision by Wendell Berry. If we will have the wisdom to survive, to stand like slow-growing trees on a ruined place, renewing, enriching it, If we will make our seasons welcome here, Asking not too much of earth or heaven, Then, a long time after we are dead, The lives our lives prepare will live here. Their houses strongly placed upon the valley sides, Fields and gardens rich in the windows. The river will run clear, as we never know it, And over it, birdsong like a canopy. On the levels of the hills will be green meadows, Stock bells and noon shade. On the steeps where greed and ignorance Cut down the old forest, An old forest will stand, its rich leaf-fall drifting on its roots. The veins of forgotten springs will have opened. Families will be singing in the fields. In their voices they will hear a music risen out of the ground. They will take nothing from the ground. They will not return, whatever the grief at parting. Memory, native to this valley, will spread over it like a grove, and memory will grow into legend, legend into song, song into sacrament. The abundance of this place, the song of its people and its birds, will be health and wisdom and indwelling light. This is no paradisal dream. Its hardship is its possibility. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for August 26, 2018. I'm Debbie Thomas.